and welcome back to Schlock and or Quickie Review. As always, I'm Lindsay Watkins. And because no one asked for it, no one even wanted it, I went to a preview screening of Denny Villeneuve's Dune Part 1 and Part 2. I sat in a theatre for nearly six hours watching a movie about a sand, sand planet. I wasn't even the biggest fan of the original, but... This is the first big part two I think we're going to get before we get Dead Reckoning, Through the Spider-Verse, Fast X, Point Two. It's, yeah, we've had Onslaught of the Part Ones. Dune was the first, Dune Part One was the first one. So I thought it would have been interesting to see, to try and see this as a whole complete movie, as Part One and Part Two absolutely are. We're all going to be framing this review around, not just part two as its own thing, because I don't think it can exist as its own thing. I think all the arcs, all the the ideas are kind of linked to part one and therefore part one is linking onto part two, which was one of my biggest problems with part one, as in it ends with the line, this is only the beginning. No, it's not. I've sat through two and a half hours of movie. How is this only the beginning? Plus, I am a little little Anakin Skywalker, as in I don't like sand. <laughs> so this is a lot of sand. And I think watching part two, I really realized it's because the desert is where the Messiah lives. I mean, this shows in Star Wars, this shows in Lawrence of Arabia. This is absolutely what Dune is about. Though I think it deals with those ideas, much more complex um, ideas and kind of wraps them, tries to deal with them in this gorgeous visual way as Villeneuve is wont to do. But yeah, so I wanted to sort of look at this as experience of watching six hours of people running around a desert and kind of what these, this movie is part one and two is and all together. Warner Brothers part two is out everywhere by the looks of it. It's doing really well. So by the sounds of it, we will probably be getting a third Dune, Dune Messiah at some point to wrap up the Paul Atreides trilogy. I'm guessing that will, I actually have not read Dune Messiah, so I'm guessing at just as much sand, though we'll, we'll see. I, I actually don't know really what happens in that book, but I'm guessing a few things because a lot happens in these two movies. So we'll, let's just get into it. We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! I know you. There's only a way of hanging my mind. You need to face your fears. Come with me. You need to be ready. You never met Harkness before. They're not human, they're brutal. The Duke's son sees too much. This is my dude. Kill them all. God in heaven. My, uh, my beloved Nova Cinema. Sit down. Uh, yeah, I'm one of the few people who didn't want to watch this on IMAX because IMAX gives me motion sickness. So I'm sitting there 
not as full as I thought because this was a Wednesday night, six hours starting at six o'clock. This thing is finishing at midnight. It's going to be well past my bedtime. And yes, I was very, very tired after this experience. Because as I said, this even the first one, even though I had my issues with because I don't think it's a complete story, it's a lot of setup. I still, you can't help but admire it. But going into it this time, those were kind of my reservations, but at least I would get the conclusion with part two and see it as a whole, whole big movie. And yeah, Denny Villeneuve, good director. He is, I mean, of course, this start, I mean, part one starts off kind of with a slow kind of build up. Of course, you've got Timothy Chalamet playing the aforementioned poor Atreides, Rebecca Ferguson playing his mother, Lady Jessica. His dad, the very, very hot in this movie, Leto Atreides, who is the Duke of Atreides. Uh, but you also, I mean, these casts are insane. Uh, Jason Momoa, still in Skarsgård, playing a lump of blob. Josh Brolin. Javier Bardem. Sharon Duncan Brewster, who I actually really, really like. Dave Bautista. It's, it's kind of a murderer's row of performances. And it shows it's just in part one, none of those actors except for maybe Rebecca Ferguson and Timothy Chalamet. Of course, there was, of course, uh, Zendaya who spends the first movie looking over her shoulder being cute. Good news with part two. She gets to be a fully formed character. But yeah, the only two people who really get to have really stretch their legs, start to perform are to Timothy Chalamet and Rebecca Ferguson as their family are given a planet to harvest spice, which is a desert hallucinogenic, but also is really important to navigation ships. This is the kind of the first part of the setup for, for, for Dune, which is such an expansive novel and that deals with so much mythology that it's kind of insane but i will say the dune book is was which was written in 1965 by um, frank hubert is such an important text to science fiction i don't think science fiction would look the way it does without dune and the fact when i get into more of part two i think the stylization of it kind of eats its own tail a little bit because i feel that so much science fiction from Guardians of the Galaxy to Star Wars, so much more has been kind of been quietly referencing. Now, when you get Dune, you're like, hang on, that's like Star Wars, um, which I don't think is a bad thing. I just think it's an interesting so cyclical kind of notion. I mean, it's like when you watch Hitchcock's Fren Frenzy and realize he's riffing on a whole bunch of Jalo directors like Argento and... Mario Baba, who were completely influenced by what Hitchcock was doing. So it's kind of this weird full coming of circle kind of moment. But anyway, the, the, the family from the rainy planet goes to the desert planet, essentially breaking this down, which was taken away from another family, the Harkonnen. And one thing I, this is a very Star Wars thing. A planet is a city. That is kind of, the whole planet is either sand, it's either all water, it's either all, just one massive continent. And that's what I think the, uh, Villeneuve really embraces is that there's a 
global scale to this movie. It's huge. There's one moment when a ship, a massive ship kind of lets off these tiny little other ships, which are huge compared to a human, but you're really seeing the scale of this thing. It's planetary. It's not citywide. It's yeah, it's planetary. And I think the first movie really captures that beautifully. And the fact that this movie is absolutely gorgeous, Greg uh, Fraser shot both of these movies and they are absolutely gorgeous to behold. Again, Sans, not my favorite format. As I said, the Messiah stories are generally not my favorite because they are generally the white savior story. They are the someone coming in to save someone who could have saved themselves. But that's, spoilers, that's kind of the point of point of Dune because you have all this political setup that needs to be done at the beginning as in there's a group who kind of secretly runs things. They are the advisors to the emperor who has the green planet, I guess, and the Bene Jesuits. They are quietly been planting everything around to try and create a messiah. And it's all centered around the desert planet Arrakis and the people who live on there, the Fremen, who in the book are very much directed to um, the Muslim and Islamic people of the Middle East because this dune is very much equating oil with spice. Um, though spice, oil does not give you a hallucinogenic trip that makes you think you're the Messiah, walking through the desert thinking, taking a lot of um, hallucinogens, thinking you're the Messiah. Dune has a lot of 60s woo-woo stuff going on in it. It's kind of baked into the pace. And I think um, even though Villeneuve doesn't really concentrate on that, you can tell it's in the movie. Um, that was what my first viewing struck me. The second viewing after I have dipped in, in and out of the novel, I started to realize the political, watching it this time around, the political implications of this world and the manic, how it moved definitely came more into focus. Uh, and that did make it more interesting. The reason why I decided to do this six hour journey as well is because I did talk to an amazing young critic who is all about Dune. He loves Dune. I'm assuming he's going to be writing a piece on it shortly, maybe for Nova Stream or for The Curb. So definitely look that up. Um, the way he spoke about Dune and what it was actually about and where it was going kind of intrigued me because I wasn't that excited about it originally when Warner Brothers first delayed this during the actor strike and everyone was upset for five minutes. I was like, eh, it's a Sand Planet movie. I, like I've seen the first movie, I've, re I've read, I've dipped in and out of the novel. I think I know what this is. Yeah, when you watch it the second time around, it's those political, it's the, how the Bene Jesuits are fitting into it. It's kind of Jessica's overall, um, how Jessica thinks she has power over her son and is training him because she wants him to become this so-called Messiah that is being prophesized about. Actually, it's been completely made up by the Bene Jesuits, but that is beside the point. It is, I mean, this series, these, this movie, part one and part two, are all about control and power. Why people want power, how people get power, what happens when you get power is... Do you accept your role as powerful or do you manipulate to get power? And you don't, you kind of see the seeds in it thinking back. I'm like, oh, of course, this, this, and this part. But again, it's all set up. Everything in part one 
pays off in part two, which structurally I've always had an issue with. Make the movie don't have set up for the next one, which I will say part two is going to have kind of those issues, but I wasn't as annoyed mm, as I was in part one about them. But in saying that, there are some spectacular sequences in Dune part one, especially the attack, the main city, which was, of course, to kill off all the Atreides. That is a magnificent scene. I don't think you can watch that and go, holy hell. I mean, when Josh Brolin is just, I don't know, you know it's coming. You know why you've been given the planet. It's to assassinate you and your whole crew. Everyone's just asleep. Anyway, that's a minor thing. I guess they didn't know it was going to happen that night. But Josh Brolin and the army running out and just seeing everything explode in front of them is a great scene. I love the details of the Hunnikin and the Imperial Army just floating down with their suits, which are anti-gravitational. Uh, I mean, this this if part one is just purely set up, it does it well. Um, the fact that there are no robots, but you have actors like Dave Dalmatian and and Stephen McKinley, who are humans that have been trained to take on the mass calculations of a computer. Because if you read the novel, you'll find out there was a massive robot war. See, guys, it's coming. And now we have humans who can kind of serve that function, but are still human. Of course, the main thing I'm forgetting about Dune 1, because again, this movie is all set up, is that the Imperium has taken over this planet Arrakis and its people, the Fremen, and are now giving it to other planets or houses, because a planet is a house in this movie, in this world, to extract the spice from the deserts. And it is a very typical colonial story. Uh, you have the Harkonnen who have been brutal and are just trying to wipe the Fremen out. This is where you get, of course, Zin, uh, Zendana's Cheney and Javier Bardem's um, Stilgard, uh, who are just barely hinted at. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say about Dune Part 1 because everything pointing out is like, oh, yeah, this will be important in Part 2. Like the fact that... Uh, because of his mother and who is a Bene Genoit, Jessica, uh, Rebecca Ferguson is amazing in, in both tunes. He has the power of prophecy. And his prophecies aren't exactly, they never turn out the way he thinks they're going to turn out or they never, um, he might imagine something else and then realize, oh, I'm actually thinking about another person or this is going to happen. Again, becomes really important in part two. So I don't like the fact that there's a movie with a beginning and conclusion that is literally just setting up for this promise that we're going to get. That's my big issue with modern blockbuster movie making. And even though I think technically this movie is astounding in terms of the set design, the editing, the cinematography, the direction, the performances, it isn't a full movie. It is half a movie. In saying that, it's very, very pretty. I think the sand annoys me, still annoys me in this one more. I don't know why. I think it's because you. I got introduced to the rainy, pretty planet. And I'm like, I like Kaladin. Kaladin's pretty. Kaladin has water. I'm a, look, I'm a Taurus, apparently, which is an earth sign. Don't like dirt. I like water. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. But yeah, the, but it is still an amazing effort, even if I don't, I think the story feels incomplete. 
So when, of course, Dune 2 is coming out, everyone is super excited. You got a taste of this world building that is extraordinary. Yeah, Dune 2 is the meat of Dune. Your father didn't believe in revenge. We believe in Fremen. Only fight beside you. Reload! He said that. I got that. Thanks. I won't be fighting for him. I'm fighting for my people. You young pop. Do you believe in Paul? There are signs. Why is that a bad thing? Use it. Because all my visions lead to horror. Because you lose control. Because I gain it. Johnny, do you believe in me? Paul Atreides is still alive. Pretty much picks up right where the first movie leaves off. It has an amazing... Well, actually, there's a few visuals uh, that I don't particularly want to spoil because I think this is kind of where you realize how weird Dune is and how mystical is not the right word. Mysticism is involved and where all the politics mechanics really start going into some really trippy, not trippy. This movie's not trippy. Villeneuve's not a trippy director. It's how it. David Lynch's Dune is trippy. This is how it's really makes certain, well, no, because they're literal in Dune as well. Anyway, talking fetus, that's all I'm going to say. So it generally picks up, but it, the actual story picks up where the last movie ends and you have this amazing sequence with uh, the Fremen having a skirmish with some American uh, soldiers and you are set up into all these these characters that were only hinted of and you get to go into the Fremen world. And I found that stuff cool. Their underground caverns, how their world works, their, relig their religion, which has been manipulated over centuries to get them to this place where they can insert Paul to be, or as he's also, because he has a lot of names in this movie, the uh, Muyadib or the Messiah, uh, Usul, so he can become that. And that is where Paul's character really becomes interesting. I mean, I will say in the first movie, there's a really cool distinction how, how Villeneuve plays with how this young boy sort of starts kind of taking control, and that's shown with the relationship with his mother, um, Jessica, how she thinks she's in complete control, and by the end of the movie, Paul has taken control. Now, this is going to be mirrored when he does the same thing with the Fremen. Um, which I think is really interesting, even though I think there's still one movie, you can still see Villeneuve kind of playing with, okay, well, now he's this, now we need him to do this, this, and this. And I think Timothy Chalamet does this really well. It's, n there's never a sudden moment of like, hang on, you've changed character. It's all very fluid and all very natural to get to the place where he is at the end of the movie. You're like, well, yeah, because that's where he was always going to go. There was, I mean, this movie is playing with the idea of 
fate that um, is ordained, yet choice and the choices you make to get there. And between him and Zendaya, I think they played re- those th- those elements are played really well. And actually, the performance that surprised me most was Zendaya. Chani is a fantastic character, even more fantastic than the book. Uh, she's really fleshed out. She is the opposing viewpoint in everything that is happening. She is the one that's calling bullshit on a Messiah legend, that these legends are not... The, the Fremen are meant to rescue themselves against their colonial oppressors. She is the one that's saying, we have to do that. A Messiah legend is just designed to keep us in place, which that kind of is. And in, in this reality, that's absolutely what is happening. You keep the Fremen fanatical. You can control them until you cannot, which I think is a process that has been played and played and replayed again. And we never quite learn that just because you're setting up to control something doesn't mean you ultimately can and that is thinking about it now actually one of the main elements because this is where we get to meet probably some of the best um characters and i am also talking about leah sado but that's a very small scene and she is incredible in it but really we're talking Austin Butler and Fahid Ratha. Um, I actually thought I hadn't looked at the cast list because, as I said, I wasn't exactly that excited by Dune. Seeing some of the visuals, I thought he was a Skarsgård kid. The, when you heard him talk and just the look of him, I'm like, oh, this is Billy, but they've done something to him. Okay, because, of course, Dallas Skarsgård plays the Baron of um, his uncle and he is kind of the main villain uh we'll get into christopher walken who i think i didn't uh, get into that part anyway um but he thinks he has complete control of arrakis which he does not because the fremen keep um disrupting and fighting against them with the spice harvest but then you of course have uh Fiaid uh, Ratha, who was of course memorably played by sting in the 84 movie wearing tiny bikini no, Austin Butler is, I'm really now realizing actor who's just going to go full tilt when we never expected him to, though this will change because with Bike Riders coming out, I think he's going to do a similar thing, but very different. Yeah, he's surprising. And as a movie and as a character, he is just psychotic. He is the different side to the same coin as Timothy Chamelay, uh, uh Moyodib. I'm sorry, I'm mispronouncing that wrong. I do realize these are a lot of um, Arabic terms because, as I said in the book, they are one-to-one with uh, Muslim Middle Eastern people in in the original Dune. But he is mimicking Dallas Skarsgård a little, and I like that. I like the fact that this is either a royal inflection or it's just because this is what Austin, Austin Butler's character thinks power is. It's talking like Stellan Skarsgård. It has a nice through line. Dave Batista, who's also a Harkonnen Baron, doesn't quite do that. He's his own thing. Um, I loved, I love when you go onto the Harrican planet, it is in black and white because there is, they've got a black sun and you get these amazing black and white sequences that are very Roman, which again, or uh, Roman Empire, which again is which is again very in tune with the first movie that's sort of building up this uh, romantic uh, Roman Empire esque 
thing of this empire, all these kind of um, different houses and different kind of power plays. I mean, the whole sequence also looks Triumph of the Will, which was a Nazi propaganda movie directed by Lenny Riffenstahl. This is not exactly a movie I'd recommend to anyone uh, because it is literal Nazi propaganda. And their whole thing was to make everything look Roman because the Third Reich was meant to be the rebirth of the Roman Empire. Uh, they said that they they showed this in their um, architecture, their art, their filmmaking, even they were completely obsessed with all the other art that they were trying to call degenerate. But that was kind of the, the front facing. And it is very harking back to that. I mean, the Hurricane loved to goose step. I'm, I'm just saying. You see multiple scenes of that. I love, but I do love how he's kind of ultimately means fascist and evil and you've got the psychopath um Vahid Ratha just scrunting and screaming animalistic but he is kind of the as I said different side of the same coin to Paul Atreides they both are seeking a form of power no matter how much Paul kind of says no 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 I want to be equal I love the line when Chani, they're sitting on the dune, they're being very, very cute together. And he's, and she says to Paul, we're all equal, men and women. We all work for the greater good of the community. And Paul says, and one of the most hit on line, the most, I am so hitting on you lines, I would like to be equal to you. China says, I will show you the way. Even though I am questioning whether how sincere he is, I think he's sincere in that moment, but whether how he, how much because Paul is a character that is driven by revenge. He has, he is driven by his perceived birthright. I mean, eugenics play again, going into the Nazi thing is so driven by his perceived ancestry um, and what he thinks that means, which is what everyone is driven by except Chani apparently. So I think there's a question of how sincere he is ultimately and how much he is craving power to get to the end result that he wants or whether he is actually just wanting to be a part of the Fremen community. I think that question is constantly being asked and never answered until the end. But in this movie, you have a lot more Javier Bardem, which is always a good thing, playing Stillsgard, who is a true disciple. He he gets to be he gets to be a little bit looser, which is kind of a nice thing to see in a, a Villeneuve movie, which I would not call him a loose director at all. But yeah, I mean, you also in this movie get, I've already hinted at Christopher Walken, you get Florence Pugh, who was there. She's great, but she is purely there to serve for, hey, guess what's going to happen in the next movie, guys? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Also another casting character is also very much doing that. Again, this is just a pet peeve with movies. Don't show me what's going to be in the next one. Just let me live in the movie that I am in. And I don't think Florence Pugh's character is able to do that. And I love Flo. And plus with Oppenheimer, where she's kind of being sidelined as well. I'm like, come on, guys. Can we just, can we give Flo something more to do? You, of course, have the returning actors, uh, Dave Bautista, Stalin Skarsgård, who I mentioned before, Charlotte Rampling, who is the head um, Benny Genowit. The cast is huge, but those are kind of, I guess, your main players. Uh, Josh Brolin returns, I guess, spoilers for part one, but you never actually see him die like everyone else. And he's really great. Um, again, he's adding this other point of view and other pressure to Paul that he has to manage. Rebecca Ferguson is terrifying in this movie. Um, she goes full crazy after she becomes a reverent mother of the Fremen. Just really 
what I think she's trying to do subtly and kind of passive aggressively, she's just going full bore in part two. And it's a wonderful thing to witness. Though more importantly, this movie, I mean, the first movie just cock teased a, a sandworm to death that it was getting actually really annoying. Um, this one shows you the sandworm, what it's like trying to ride one. Speaking of which, how do you get a paraquin on there? Seriously, with a pregnant lady. Like it's, whole villages are riding on these things. I'm like, how? <laughs> I mean, you see the setup with Paul doing it, which again is very Avatar when Jack Scully, because you just can't say his first name or his last name, it's Jack Scully, rides the dragon bird thingies that they link with with their hair. Um, I know I'm missing up all that terminology again, and I'm sorry, but if you've listened to this review, this is what I'm doing apparently. It's very reminiscent of that, but again, I think that's kind of the visual aspect I was thinking uh, thinking of when I'm saying it's kind of eating its own tail. Dune already implemented this imagery into the world. Other people have kind of shown it in their movies. Like the first time you see Vahid Ratha, he is getting painted for a ceremony, which is him going to be fighting in the ring, gladiator style, as I said, with the whole uh, triumph of the will kind of spectacle, uh, gladiator-esque type of thing. And it's very reminiscent of when you meet Roman in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Again, this imagery has already been presented out into the world. Other artists took it and ran with it. And now you're seeing it in the adaption of the original form. So it's kind of, I don't think it's like Villeneuve being, copying everyone else or being derivative. I just think you're just sort of seeing how impactful Dune has quietly been on space opera since 1965. That's kind of the point I guess I'm trying to make. I mean, uh, Nadine Whitney did remind me, um, even though I did, I was like, ah, Gladiator, when I was watching Dune 2, she did remind me that even though I think that sequence breaks up the very beautiful desert landscape, it gives you something else that pops, even if it is referring to one of the most evil regimes on the planet. Um, it is very Roman and it is kind of what Triumph of the Will is trying to do. Kind of this perfect eugenic society that's gross and like, oh no. Can I go back to the Fremen, please? It's kind of all kind of a, a piece of what it's trying to do. And of course, this is doomed to Villeneuve brings the spectacle. I mean, the battle sequences are fantastic. There's a particular one against a harvester, which stands out. There's a reason why shots from that keep showing up in the trailer because it is amazing. The final battle, battle sequence is incredible. It starts off with a huge bang and then keeps going from there. Dune 2 is really good movie. Do I love it as much as, say, actually, no, my favorite movie of the year is Driveway Dolls. Love Lights Bleed might go up there, but Driveway Dolls is my kind of movie. This isn't, but I can still appreciate the beauty and the philosophy and the historical nature of this movie. And I think it's that Dune 2 which really, really does it. The, honestly, part one feels like a coda or pro prologue to Dune 2. And I think Messiah is probably going to be the coda to Dune 2. Dune 2 is the meat. Dune 2 has everything that I kind of wanted from a movie like Dune. And it's really spectacular. It is doing so much with so little, just kind of the way it just, easily flows the story along that everything is making sense and the movie is dealing with some grappling big ideas uh i mean you could probably just watch it and go sandworm i like 
that's all I need. Or if you want to dig deeper, you can really get into how religions are made, how powerful are made, how power works, why people want power um, and how it corrupts and corrodes you. And this is not, even I think the book kind of settles into a nice white savior. Here's the Messiah movie, even though I think Herbert um, was really trying to go, hang on a minute. Why do we keep, why does the story keep coming up? And why does it always end up in a fucked up way? This is what this does. But I think this book takes, I think the movie takes those ideas and really makes them visual where the, the book, I think, waits a little bit for Messiah, especially with um, Zendaya and Chani's character. I think where she goes in this movie is fantastic because if it ended like the book, I think it would have left a really sour taste in my mouth. But there's a look of hurt and anger that she gets to give that speaks so much volumes of how she feels she has been betrayed. Because she kind of, well, she is. And spoilers for a 70-year-old book, um, which I don't think the book does. Zendaya really impressed me. I, I kind of knew, I knew she was a good actor. I'm now looking forward to the movie she did with Luca Guadagnino. I'm like going, yes, bring on a complex character that has threesomes. Because you know that movie's going to have a threesome. I mean, it's hinted at it. It's, he's he's going to do it. I mean, it's Luca. I love him. So yeah, I think this is a spectacle, but I think the annoying thing is you have to watch. You cannot go into it without watching part one because the movie isn't going to explain anything. This is not a movie that even explains names. It, they just said, they explain it, they move on. And I had to go back and look up these names, what they meant, how they feed into the mythology. So this movie is a little annoying because the mythology you read about makes the movie better, which I think a movie should need to stand on its own. Villeneuve has said he's been storyboarding this movie since he was a teenager. So he's already he's already putting that mythology he knows in the background. So that's kind of how he sees the movie. But no, Dune, good movie. Denny Villeneuve, good director. <laughs> yeah. But, and with that, we will be back with another Schlockenor quickie review at some point. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.